Let's pray. Lord, open our eyes that as we go to the text, we would see you. Open our ears, Lord, that as we hear uh, the word, however clumsily preached by me, Lord, as we uh, hear your voice speaking through the words, Lord, that we would just know your voice, hear you, Lord, and that would you open up our hearts, like create expectancy in us, Lord, that you would have something for us today. Every time we open the word alongside friends and neighbors, every time the word is preached, Lord, there is something unleashed. I've seen it time and again. That's the only reason why I'm in some ways still here. It's because a simple gathering like this, a simple gathering that's happening right now at Sanctuary North, a simple gathering that's happening tonight on the Sanctuary East Side. Lord, there's something about it that, that I have seen transform people, shape people, wake people up, stir a call in people, comfort and encourage, Lord. So bring us to the edge of our seat for what you want to do. In Christ's name we pray, amen. All right, we are in a series. Um, We got kind of interrupted there for a minute by David Gunger and the Brilliance. That was pretty cool last week though, right? Beautiful, beautiful. Anyone know what David said though? Anyone have any idea? David's sermon? Anyone get anything out of that? No, it's just, yeah. (laughs) Amazing, amazing time. So this series on forgiveness, what we like to do is stop every, every couple months and teach a spiritual practice. And so this one is on forgiveness because we believe just in a world where there's so much static, there's so, there's so little, like so few pathways to peace and reconciliation, where there's so much contention, we need forgiveness more than ever. And as followers of Jesus, it is central to what it means to be human. So a, a few ground rules for forgiveness before we dive in. Okay, ready for taking notes. Forgiveness. I'm not going to give you a definition. I, I want to say what it's not and what it is in some ways to help us as we go into this, exploring this word a little more deeply today. Forgiveness is not condoning. Forgiveness is not condoning. So to forgive someone is not to say that's okay. Okay. To forgive someone or something is not to say, yeah, that, that, I guess that's fine. Anyone like that when they mean to forgive and they find themselves being like, I'm so worried about what you're going to think about me saying forgiveness. Like, no, 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 you know, no, I don't need to forgive. No, it's cool. It's cool that you just like punch me in the face. No, it's really cool. Anyone that personality? Yeah, I'm tempted to that. Like, no, 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 really, man, no worries. I say no worries a lot. And deep down, I'm like, that, that actually was really wrong and you deserve to suffer. Um... <laughs> Forgiveness is not always forgetting. It's not always forgetting. Now, in the, in the healthiest relationship, it, it, it sh- I think there should be, you know, a good friend of mine or my, my, my father, we have tension and, and we decide, look, like we come to a place of like, hey, I didn't mean that and oh, I didn't mean that. Oh, I shouldn't have said it like that. I'm sorry. I was in, you know, let's just forget about that. Like that shouldn't happen. That's like a healthy place of forgetting. It can include forgetting in the healthiest places, but it does not always mean forgetting. Actually, sometimes forgiveness is about remembering. Actually, it's about recognizing that did hurt and that was harmful and I need boundaries and I can still set that person free. Boundaries are okay. You can forgive and still get a restraining order. You can forgive and still say, I can't go near you ever again. 
Forgiveness is different than reconciling. In a couple of weeks, we'll close out the forgiveness series with a, with a sermon on reconciling Pastor Sarah's going to bring. Takes, forgi- forgiveness takes one person. Reconciliation takes two. So forgiveness and reconciliation are deeply tied together, but they are not the same thing. And forgiveness is different from justice and consequences. Forgiving someone is different than the right sort of justice and consequences that needs to befall someone. In fact, sometimes that's what they need. What forgiveness is, forgiveness is always personal. Forgiveness is always personal. Anyone know anybody who's like mad at the church? And it's not even like sanctuary, it's just like capital C, like the church. It's really tough to sort of like just be mad at an entire institution with millions of people across like thousands of languages and like, you know, what really, when you boil that down and you were to ask that person question after question after question after question after question, after question, after question you'd get back to, oh, somebody hurt me. Somebody hurt me. It wasn't even just the institution. It was someone in that institution and that thing happened. And then that somebody else hurt me because they didn't respond well to that. Forgiveness, if you're taking notes, is always personal. And lastly, forgiveness is a process. Very rarely is forgiveness like a one and done thing. Forgiveness takes time. Forgiveness takes time. Turn with me, if you would, to Judges 15. Didn't see that coming, did you? (laughs) Judges 15. Later on, the time of the wheat harvest, Samson, this is a story about Samson. Anyone remember Samson? Samson. He took a young goat and went to visit his wife. He said, I'm going to my wife's room. Pro tip, fellas. Get yourself a goat. (laughs) I may or may not have thought about that one ahead of time. He said, I'm going to my wife's room, but her father would not let him go in. Good dad. I was so sure you hated her, he said, that I gave her to your companion. Isn't her younger sister more attractive? Take her instead. This is already turning into like Old Testament Jerry Springer. Samson said to them, this time I have a right to get even with the Philistines. I will really harm them. So he went out. And caught 300 foxes and tied them tail to tail in pairs. He then fastened a torch to every pair of tails, lit the torches, and let the foxes loose in the standing grain of the Philistines. He burned up the shocks and standing grain together with the vineyards and olive groves. What is happening? (laughs) I like how sometimes in church, like, someone reads the text and like, hmm, yeah, hmm. Like, no, this is not, what is this? <laughs> oh, only like the scholar in the room is like, oh yeah, I love this passage. <laughs> First of all, this is a religious slam. Samson is going after, when he says the vineyards and olive groves, like th- this, is, this is like their sense of who the gods are, how the, like the, the world is run, what sacraments, things you need to appease the gods, the economic system. So this isn't just like someone's random olive tree, like he's going after the system. He's saying, I am going to get my vengeance. 
So he goes after them. He ties foxes together. He, he, he fastens some sort of what? Weapon. When the Philistines asked, who did this? So these are these, these, these people who, uh, who, who Samson has issue with. They are told Samson, the Timnite son-in-law, because his wife was given to his companion. So the Philistines went up and burned her and her father to death. Samson said to them, since you've acted like this, I swear that I won't stop until I get my revenge on you. By the way, how do you know when you've gotten enough revenge? Like, how do you know when you, you've, you, you've, you've gone back enough times? Like, now, oh, now I feel better. Got that 2,000 fox up there. He attacked them viciously and slaughtered many of them. Verse 8. Then he went down and stayed in a cave in the rock of Edom. The Philistines went up and camped in Judah, spreading out near Lehi. The people of Judah asked, why have you come to fight us? We have come to take Samson prisoner, they answered, to do to him as he did to us. Then 3,000 men started with something a bit smaller. So, yeah, so then 3,000 men. Then 3,000 men. So it starts with something really small, and then it turns into, now we've got 3,000 men. We've got one small offense, and now here's where we've escalated. So 3,000 men from Judah went down to the cave to the rock of Edom and said to Samson, don't you realize that the Philistines are rulers over us? What have you done to us? He answered, I merely did to them what they did to me. You ever have anybody who's like, just like, they're like a hothead. And you're like, this whole situation could be diffused rather quickly. But you set them free in that room, and you know everyone's going to be ticked. You leave the room and you come back in 10 minutes and everybody hates each other. There's foxtails and 3,000 men fighting and burning people. <laughs> I merely did what they did to me. Samson's like, what's the, deal? what's the big deal? They said to him, we've come to tie you up and hand you over to the Philistines. Samson said, swear to me that you won't kill me yourselves. Greed, they answered. We will only tie you up and hand you over to them. We will not kill you. Okay. So they bound him with two new ropes and led him from the rock. As he approached Lehi, the Philistines came toward him shouting. The spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. The ropes on his arms became like charred flax and the bindings dropped from his hands. Epic superhero moment. Finding a fresh jawbone of a donkey that's lying around everywhere. <laughs> he grabbed and struck down a thousand men. Then Samson said, with a donkey's jawbone, I have made donkeys of them. It reads different in the King James Version. Go look that up. With a donkey's jawbone, <laughs> I have made donkeys of them. With a donkey's jawbone, I have killed a thousand men. The story starts with a dude, a goat, and a father-in-law, and it ends with a guy killing a bunch of people with a donkey jawbone. <laughs> a couple observations about revenge. It always escalates. Always. It starts sometimes, too, with things like the rolling of the eyes. Are you serious? It doesn't end there. I, I heard someone doing a lecture on, they were talking about Romeo and Juliet, and, and they, they, they zeroed in on this one thing, right? So this, this thing, Romeo and Juliet, 
can't get married. These two families are not allowed to, to intertwine at all. And then someone asked the question in a play, like, when did it start? And the line that Shakespeare writes is this, there was once an airy word was spoken. Just once, there was an, an airy word was spoken. Civil wars later, this couple can't get together. It's like what we could say like this, it started with an offhanded comment. It started with an offhanded comment. Any of you have difficult family situations, you know what I'm talking about, right? Why does like that side of the family hate that side of the family? Have you ever had an outsider come into like a family system, a family event? We had our friends Joman and Sia, some of you know them. They came down for a, um, a, uh, a Patriots game in the playoffs. And uh, if any of you follow me on Instagram, you know how just completely reserved and calm my family is when it comes to the New England Patriots. It's insanity. It's insanity. It's, in, it's insanity. We're yelling, we're screaming. And so Joe and Sia, who aren't even really big football fans, are just sitting there watching the intensity. In fact, as the game was about to start, my mom, who's the greatest host, pulls them aside and goes, hey, just a heads up, like, like kind of no talking. It's going to get really serious. But she gave them a straight face, and they were thinking she was just sort of joking, right? Now, in other words, you walk into a foreign family system, and you all of a sudden learn, like, oh, wow, these people are intense, or that's really funny, that's really interesting. Well, in a place of conflict, if you've ever looked around and go, why does that side of the family hate that other side of the family? Why does Uncle Jim not get along with anybody over there and that side of the family? Just an, oh, there was once an offhanded comment. Once he took offense and then he never called anybody back and then it escalated and he felt wrong. And now all of a sudden, six years later, still haven't talked to mom. Anybody? It always inflames. Revenge creates within a person an inflated ego. It's like, I have the right. You don't know what they did. You may even already be processing this sermon I'm like 10 minutes in through this lens, right? You may already be scanning like, oh, okay, he's going to encourage us at the end. We're all going to come forward and like say like, okay, who do I need to forgive? Okay, I need to forgive. Like, Andrew, you have no idea. It's cute in your little church world, but like you don't know what they did. Anyone already there? It's okay. I have the right I'm just, what's the line Samson says? I'm just doing to them what they did to me. And I remember Pong, the video game Pong. <laughs> I wanted to show like a video of it. It's like the most archaic game. You look at it now, you're like, caveman played that. It's just a ball. Boop. Boop. And all you can do is move the, the, the uh, whatever, the things, the paddles, up and down. That's the only move you have. And of course, that's not, not very responsive. It's like, boop, I moved it down, and it goes back up. And just the ball, you just want to keep the ball going. Anyone ever had like an endless rally in tennis? Any tennis players out there? It's just like, oh my gosh, they are still going back and forth and back and forth. This is sort of what revenge is like relational pong. <laughs> back and forth and back and forth, passing revenge. Sometimes revenge gets expressed with like, I'll withhold. I'm going to withhold this. I'm going to withhold my joy. I'm going to withhold my friendship. 
a cold shoulder. And we end up thinking through the lens of they got it coming. Like everyone I've ever, ever met with, talked with, anyone I've ever known, like we carry around these wounds. These scars, like this is just what it is to be human. I was talking to someone the other day trying to get down to this issue. They just had such a bad attitude and were so angry at the world and they just wanted to process. You know what the conversation ended with? It ended with the phrase, yeah, Andrew, I've only told one other person this, but I've been, I was raped. So people are carrying such heavy burdens. Our marriages and our church community have taken a hit in the last year. It's been hard. There are wounds poor choices that have been made, scars that have formed. And I don't know about you, but I don't want what someone else did to me to determine the rest of my life. I can't change what happened, but I I don't want to be imprisoned by that anymore. We want to put this stuff behind us, and I don't know about you, maybe you've done that before, and then like something happens, you, I don't know, you see a tree, you see a car, you see a movie, you hear a song. <laughs> Sometimes it's like nothing, it's like a stoplight, and then it all just comes back, and you think you've moved on from that hurt, and it's still there. Anybody? It becomes part of you, and eventually what happens is revenge becomes like our only hope, and we aren't free so one of the questions I find that comes up is like, where was God when that happened? Like, where was God when that thing happened, however big or however small? And, and so the first thing I, I would just simply say is we, we are reminded in Scripture, and I'm not going to do like a giant Bible study right now, but like are on this, but God's everywhere. It says the eyes of God are everywhere. All right, there's, this, there's this idea in, in the Christian tradition of God is like omniscient, omnipresent, all-knowing, he's, he's like kind of everywhere. The whole earth is, is not just filled with his, like his glory and grandeur, but somehow God, his eyes are, are everywhere. And in Romans 12, it says, don't insist on getting even. That's not for you to do. Don't take revenge, one translation says. I will do the judging. I will take care of it, God says. It's like God's everywhere and God sees everything and then God says, you don't take revenge. That's not on you. I have some things to do. I have some things that I'm about. Guess what you're not about? Those things. And I honestly think this has been something for me in my own heart that has unlocked something for me in being able to deal with this kind of brokenness is everything in our world settles around, settles around this idea of revenge, settling the score. I don't, but ultimately, revenge, this posture of revenge, when it comes to our spirituality, when it comes to God, is basically saying, God, I don't trust you to handle this. Like, God, I don't trust you to take care of this. Revenge is saying, God, I can do a better job like dealing out the justice in this situation. Revenge doesn't work, though. You ever felt good? And again, for those of you, please don't go to like some epic place when I say revenge. Just the cold shoulder, the rolling of the eyes, the pushback that you, that you feel inside your heart, the shunning, like, the, like trying to return fire. I don't know about you, man, but it makes me feel temporarily a little okay, and then I still feel miserable. 
doesn't work. Freedom and forgiveness are tied together and central to Jesus' teaching. We have to start here. This is why two weeks ago we started with confession. Be honest about the brokenness in your own heart, recognizing God's forgiveness and freedom over you, and you, the more you lean into that, you will be surprised at your capacity to forgive. This is what God is like. He doesn't hold our past against us. Doesn't condemn us. There's no list of wrongs hanging out over top of you. In fact, the cross... The cross tells us that God doesn't hold whatever it is against you. Jesus gives us this picture of God that is full of forgiveness. Jesus, in fact, is announcing, it says multiple times, the forgiveness of sins, which is basically saying this exile that the Jewish people are under is like over. Like there's a new, it's, it's sort of a way of announcing there's like a whole new era one writer says, we can now know where we stand with God. God's kind of in some way always been like this. Slow to anger, abounding in love, full of grace. And he has opened the pathway once and for all for us to know that our sins in an ultimate way and in an individual way are and can be forgiven. When you forgive someone, you're giving that person what God gave to you. But if you have no concept of your own forgiveness, you won't make it in the long run. Because there will still be so much ego tied up in that. I'll forgive you. You ever forgiven someone like that? Like snark? I think I just did a Dane Cook impression. Like just like, there's like so much audacity. Like forgiveness. Like I'll forgive you. It's not coming from a well of, oh dude, I know what it is. I know what it is to be broken. I know what it is. That's why my sisters and brothers, I love to elevate them and honor them who have been in recovery. They get this, man. Get this, they get this, they get this more than many of us. When you forgive someone, you're giving that person what God has given to you. Have you ever heard someone say, they did such an awful thing, I will never forgive them? And I just think, what if God said that? Like, what if God said that? You don't know, Andrew. I don't need to. The God of the universe lowered himself, made himself a servant, and died for the worst of us. And you get a part in that. You are moving from death to life. You have been forgiven, redeemed, and set free. It says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. When we're unable to pray for those who persecute us, we are waiting for them to be punished. Please hear that. When we can't love and forgive our enemies, the people that have hurt us, that's us going, yeah, 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 I can't even, no, I'm not gonna bless you. Your punishment's coming. I know. First Peter 2, 23, we're gonna land here. Peter has this insightful way, First Peter 2, 23, this insightful way of teaching about Jesus on the cross. I love this. He writes, when they, so he's talking about Jesus on the cross. He says, when they hurled their insight, insults at him, when the people gathered around hurled their insights at Jesus on the cross, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. 
Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. That's good. He made no threats. He's an innocent man being thrown up on one of the worst execution devices humanity has ever come up with. He didn't deserve any of it. None of it. Perfect life. And he goes, I have every reason to hurl whatever I need to hurl back. And his move is what? Peter says, he entrusted, which is like my word of the year. (laughs) He entrusted himself to the God who judges justly. This is what Paul writes later on, right? This is what the New Testament is trying to make sense of, this early church. This is what we right now, 2,000 years later, are trying to make sense of. How do we say, God's going to handle that. Revenge is mine, says the Lord, not mine. My job is to love, forgive, and not live under the burden and weight of something I was never meant to live under. I can't control a broken world where people do awful things. Because God's a God of love, he has given choice and chance. Stop blaming what happened to you on God. It's awful, it's a mess, but we know God weeps with you, God is with you, he saw it, and gives us everything we need to reconcile and allow that pain to be transformed and absorbed and transmitted into a life of forgiveness, freedom, calling, and mission. I say that strongly fully aware that there are some folks that like they are not in a place where they can hear that yet. But I think I've been guilty of coddling too many and not just being clear that you can be free. And I know not everyone needs to hear this word so I pray that it goes forward and hits the people right that need to hear it. But like you got to actually engage You've got to stop with a victim mentality. Not all of us. There are real victims. But if we live in that mindset only and do not take hold of the fact that God wants you to be free too, but you keep spinning in that, it will be very difficult. Entrust all that nonsense that's come to you to the God who will judge and will make sense of it. And then, oh, the freedom will come. He was wronged. And his revenge, right, is saying, this person did wrong to to me. And I've determined the proper punishment. Revenge is a failure to entrust yourself to God's judgment. Samson, this time I have the right. In other words, I don't like the way, God, you'll probably do this and put this back together. I don't trust God you're really going to do that. Or Jonah. (laughs) It's a really excited face for Jonah. Right, Jonah. Everyone know the story of Jonah? My favorite part of that story is what? Like, he, he, he doesn't want to go to his enemy's country and proclaim the goodness of God. He doesn't want to go and warn them. Like God asked them. And you know his reason why he doesn't want to go to his enemies and do what God asked him to do? You know, I don't know why. Because, oh, God, I know that you're, like, compassionate and forgiving and kind, and you're probably going to, like, give them a pass. I think we do that. If I pray for my enemy, if I entrust them, what if God blesses them? I don't trust that God will extend, 
like the right amount of justice to them. But if it were me, I'd be asking for forgiveness, mercy, and a second chance. What's that old thing, do unto others as you would want them to do unto you? I think that like goes to God. God, I would love you to extend mercy and forgiveness to me when I jack everything up. So how do I get to a place, help me get to a place where I could pray, God, will you extend mercy and forgiveness and a fresh start to my enemy? How, God, would you extend freedom to them? Would you extend new life to them? Forgiveness begins with giving up the right to revenge and trusting yourself to God's judgment, surrendering the situation and the person and being set free. To really forgive, you have to be able to say, I hope good and blessing comes your way. That's part of forgiveness. It's like just wishing them the best. This doesn't complicate it in some ways. I need to be able to get to a place, and it's a process, right? So we said out of the gate. I need to be able to get to a place where I can just wish them the best. Just draw a line of sand. I can't, I can't go there. I can't do this. If there's not reconciliation, that's possible. So maybe the real point of forgiveness is it's, it's actually about you. Maybe the point of forgiveness is setting yourself free. Maybe the point of forgiveness is setting yourself free. I'm still carrying this stuff around. We carry these debts that people owe us. And God didn't create you to carry that stuff around. God wants us free from bitterness, free from revenge. I'm not going to carry that around one more day. It's like, say it with me. I'm not going to carry that around one more day. And it may be the first step in the long process. Maybe today, like, the first step is I am not going to think of complicated ways to kill them. I'm not going to think of long, extended ways to torture them and make them feel whatever. Maybe that's just the first step. I don't know. But to actually, like, like moving to a place of freedom to recognize what you've been given so that you can forgive as you have been forgiven. Forgiveness, one author says, is setting someone free and realizing that person is you. It's where it starts. It's where it starts. So, that little thing I made a joke about, like writing someone's name down or coming forward or something. We've got to do it. I want to invite the communion ushers up. Is there someone who has wronged you, fired you, abused you? Look, as we, as, if we as followers of Jesus are going to be a movement, a force in this world of forgiveness, a pathway to peace, true peacemakers, it has to begin in our own heart and in our own lives. So I, I want you to, to sort of, um, I want you to, in a, in a sense, uh, we've been adding to this cross every week things that we need to experience forgiveness for, and today, I want you, if, if you'd like, if there's someone or something you just, you need to extend forgiveness, 
just imagine that name in, there, in, in your mind as you go down and as you grab one of these red cloths. And I'll, I'll have some of the communion folks. Maybe we can spread out. Here, Tony, why don't you come over here? I'll leave a little room on this side. So come up. And if you want to just line up on this side so you can take one of those red cloths and tie that to the cross as just a symbol of that name, that person who has hurt you, wronged you, placing it on the cross as a way of saying, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to begin to put this to death so that I can experience freedom and I can experience resurrection. I'm going to put this on the cross where I know you have taken away my sin and shame, where I've been forgiven. This will be the beginning and starting place of my forgiveness for them. And of course, as we come to the table, as we come to the table and confess our sin, we come to the table, we receive also the assurance of Christ's love and forgiveness over us. As I pray, one more thing of you those of you who feel stuck in a cycle of revenge passive aggressivity constantly needing to throw daggers I want to ask in this moment that this would be a moment as you come to the table as you tie up a cloth around a cross or whatever it is this would be your moment where you drop the jawbone <laughs> Lord Jesus Christ Son of God we thank you for your mercy upon us. We thank you for your forgiveness, for the clean slate that you have given us. I pray in this moment as we close our time in song, as we close our time in taking the elements, the bread and the cup, Christ's body broken and blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins, for the healing of the world. God, that in knowing that forgiveness, knowing that how you would give us all that we need for this next first step. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Man's going to sing for a moment. Song, it's just a simple song of forgiveness. This is our prayer of confession and assurance as you come forward. So come forward. Take the bread, dip it in the cup. Christ's body broken and the cup, his blood poured out for us. We do this in remembrance of what our God has done. Again, line up on this side if you want to tie something to the cross. Um, and, uh, and then let's just stay in this moment. What's the next step for you? Maybe even as we sing, it's just jotting a note. It's getting ready to send that text or that call or whatever needs to happen. Let's allow these last few minutes together to be one where we allow the spirit to heal and restore what needs to be healed and restored. So come forward, the bread of forgiveness, the wine of release.